Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. I'm on that decision before we pray in Christ's name. I want to speak this morning on the subject, the power of the church. It will not be particularly evangelistic. It will be dealing with the members of the church speaking to you. You recall back in the very end of the book of Matthew as Jesus stood on the mountain in preparation for his ascension back to heaven, He said something like this, all power is given to me, emphasis upon the word power. He said then, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, though I am with you always, even to the end of the world. But I want you to particularly pull out of that statement, the words he said, all power is given to me. And then he said, in the words that we read here from the book of Acts, that the disciples were were to go to the upper room, and they were to wait until they had been filled with the power. Emphasis upon the power. The church is not some weak organism. The church is an organism established by the Lord Jesus Christ himself into which he inserted, to which he gave power. We have a tremendous power within the church. But he said to go to that upper room and wait until you get it. And it would come when the Holy Spirit would come down and fill each of those people. Then they would have power. You know, they went to the upper room after the ascension and they waited. They waited. They waited. For ten days, they waited. For something to happen. I suspect some of them began to waver a little bit in their in their faith as to whether anything was going to happen, and finally something happened. But, before it could happen, what do you suppose those people did in that upper room, probably the same one that the Lord used for the Last Supper, what do you suppose they did during those ten days? I want to suggest two things that I think must have taken place. First of all, I think there was a lot of getting themselves as individuals right with God. They had gone through the traumatic experience of seeing their Savior crucified, of having their hopes dashed, of believing that it all was lost, suddenly to have him come back to life, present himself to them, and now ascend into heaven, They had to search their hearts and minds to settle in their own mind what they really believed about Jesus Christ. We sing a little ditty 
which I like a lot. Everybody ought to know who Jesus is. The verses go, he's the lily of the valley. He's the bright and morning star. He's the fairest of 10,000. Everybody ought to know. Listen, that's true. But the question is, do we as the church, have we settled in our mind, have you as an individual Christian established in your own thinking who Jesus really is to you? Until we have established that fact clear in our minds as individuals and clear in our thinking as a collective body, we will not have the power that Jesus said he wanted us to have. This is what they needed to do before the Lord could put power within them. They needed to establish in their own minds and in their own hearts who Jesus really is. Now, who is he? The Lord said to his disciples all on one occasion, Who do people say I am? And they said, Well, some say you're Elijah or Moses, come back from the dead, or one of the other prophets. Maybe you're even John the Baptist resurrected. But his question was, Who do you say I am? Finally, Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. What did Peter say? You're the Savior. I suspect that all, or at least most, in this congregation this morning have already settled the question, like several of you did during the revival, Who is Jesus to you? You can firmly say this morning, He's my Savior. But listen, we must not stop there. We must also recognize and receive him as our Lord. Now too many people stop at the Savior and don't go on to the Lord. And that's what makes weakness within the church. If we want to be saved, which we certainly do, and we have accept of him as our Savior, but we do not oftentimes want to receive him as our Lord or as our Master. When we pray, Lord Jesus Christ, we're saying something more than Savior. We're saying something about our relationship as he being our Master, he being our Lord, and therefore we being the slave. The church could not be powerful until it had settled this question as to who Jesus really is. He is my Savior, but he must be my Lord. Secondly, well, first, we have said they had to get right with God in their thinking. Secondly, I think they had to get right with each other. You remember during the ministry of Christ with his disciples that there was a power struggle between them. The mother of James and John came to the Lord on one occasion and said, I've got a favor to ask of you. 
The Lord said, what is it? And she said, I would like for you, when you establish your kingdom, to put my two boys, one on your left hand and one on your right. I want them to have places of importance in your kingdom. There is a tendency for all people to want to have positions of importance. And the Lord said to her, that's not for me to decide. That's God alone to decide. So he went on to teach them. He said, if you really want to be great, the only way you can be great is to become a servant. The disciples made preparation for the last Lord's Supper, for the Lord's Supper, the, the last supper that Jesus would eat with his disciples. He sent them into town and told them to make the preparations. You know they wore sandals in that day, and they walked and down the dirty streets. Their feet were dirty. It was a common custom in every Jewish house that a slave would be stationed at the door, or a servant, if they did not have slaves, who would wash the feet of the, the guests as they came into the house. A, a gesture of uh, hospitality. And so that should have been prepared for. But these disciples, none of them wanted to be the one who got down on the floor and washed the dirty feet. They would not be a servant. They came to the meal. They sat around the table with the Lord. Their feet were grimy and gritty and dirty. None of them would bow uh, to serve the others. Not even would they wash Jesus' feet. And after the meal was over, he got up and he took a towel and wrapped it around him and he started down the line with a bowl of water and he washed feet after feet after feet to show them to illustrate to them that those who are going to be the greatest must be the least and do those things that are menial and distasteful perhaps. But the great people of the world will be the least people of the world when it comes to serving one another. The power of the church will not be present until we all rush to get down on our knees and serve each other. Until we will serve, we will not be a great church. The power can't be here. We must not be exclusive in our membership. But desire to reach out to all the people and serve them. We pray, Lord, just as I am, accept me just as I am. To make that prayer means, Lord, I'm going to accept my brethren just as they are. In their weakness and in their sin and in their frailties, I'll take them like they are because you took me like I am. I believe it was Moody who told the story of a Chinese woman who lived in London and went to one of the churches, fine churches in London, and she kept going to the women's mission circle meeting. She was a sinner, and she was Chinese, both. So she had two strikes against her in going to a traditional white Christian group of women. And the women were uncomfortable with her in their presence, and they finally went to the pastor, and they said, Pastor, if you don't get her out of our women's mission group, 
we're going to quit. And the pastor yielded to that pressure, and so he went to the Chinese lady, and he said, I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to ask you to quit attending the women's mission group. And she said to the pastor, Pastor, I know I'm a sinner. Isn't there some place a sinner can go? We've got to receive with open arms into our fellowship all who are sinners because we are sinners simply saved by grace. This is the place that sinners ought to come. And we ought to invite them. Queen Elizabeth went to her church, went down front to kneel down to pray, as was their custom. And as she knelt down to pray, that fine lady, a very taggered, dirty-looking individual from off the street who was in the service came down the aisle and knelt down beside her at the front of the church also to pray. One of the ushers saw it happening and got up and came up to the front of the church for the purpose of removing this beggar from the side of the queen. And she said, no, we're all equal here. That's power. When we see ourselves as the servants of our fellow man, we'll have the power. All right. Let's, let's notice in chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had come, notice what was going on. They were together in one place. The church will have power when it's together in its thinking, but also when it's together in body. When we're in one place, united for one cause and one purpose, we'll see the power. All right, look what happened. And suddenly, here they were now of one mind and one heart. They'd gotten themselves right with the Lord. They'd gotten themselves right with each other. There they were in communion, and suddenly there was a sound. There was a noise. The noise was so loud that it was heard all over Jerusalem. It happened in an upper room. But down the street, across town, people were saying, what was that that we heard? I believe when the church is filled with the Spirit, the community will be aware of it. I've been hearing a few little rumblings here and there in the last few weeks. I hear there's something happening at Olive Branch. I hope you've been hearing it as well. The little conversations that I pick up here and there is now positive. Let's Bring that little rumbling to a mighty roar. When the Spirit rushes into our midst to the point that this whole community knows that we believe in and serve Jesus Christ. That's what this church is supposed to do. I can't help but go back to Ezekiel. 
If you've got your Bibles, go back to Ezekiel with me in the Old Testament, verse 37. I've just got to do it. One of the most interesting passages in all the scripture, we're not going to go into the explanation of it. It's the, the dry bones passage of scripture, for those of you who remember it. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. So you can find it there just before Daniel. Ezekiel 37. And the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down. Now notice where he sets him down. In the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. Now this is human bones he's talking about. And he caused me to pass among them round about, and behold, there were many on the surface of the valley, and lo, they were very dry. He said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. And again he said to me, Prophesy over these bones, and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Then said the Lord God uh, to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you may come to life. And I will put sinews on you and make flesh grow back on, your, on you, cover you with skin and put breath in you, that you may come alive and you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise. And behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to bone, the hip bone connected to the thigh bone. Oh, hear the word of the Lord. That's where that came from. These bones begin to come together. Dry bones are coming together. All right, verse 8. And I looked, and behold, sinews were on them, and flesh grew, and skin covered them. But there was no breath in them. They were coming back together, but no breath. And he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds. Oh, breathe, and, uh, oh, breath, and breathe on these slain that they may come to life. And so I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came unto them, and they came to life and stood on their feet as an exceeding great army. Dry bones came back to life again. And down in the 14th verse, and I will put my spirit within you, and you will come to life. That's what the church needs, is the spirit put in our dry bones that we can come to life again. Let's get those bones connected together, and let's put flesh back upon them, and let's see them stand, but more than that, let's feel the breath of the Spirit breathe from God into the dry bones of the church and make it alive. There was a sound, but there was also something visible. Peter looked over John. There was something standing on his head. It's described as, as a cloven or a divided uh, tongue of fire. And Thomas looks over at Mary Magdalene. The same thing's happening to her. 
Mary Magdalene looks over at Mary, the mother of Jesus, and there the same things happen to her. And they all look around. They can't see it on themselves, of course, but they see in everybody else that something is happening. Folks, that's when the Spirit is evident. When you can look at somebody else, your neighbor and your friend, somebody across the aisle, and you can see in them the power of God at work. That will make a church alive again. They were on fire. They were on fire. Why? Because the Spirit of God came down from heaven and took dwelling in their heart. I want to ask you, is the church on fire? Is the church on fire? We don't want to call the fire department if it is because we want the church to burn. I'm talking about the building you can recognize. If this building were on fire, we would yell for Greg to get his fire department up here. But if this church is on fire, we ought to be shouting, let it burn, fan the flames. Do not quench the spirit. We have a little hint of fire. Let's fan it into open flame. Now look what happens. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They had the form of godliness up to this point. They sat around for ten days in the upper room and uh, maybe enjoying themselves and getting things straightened out, but they didn't really have any power within them. There are lots of churches that have no power. Well, there's weak power. Many churches go through the motions but will not accept the power that's available. But listen, Jesus did not establish his church to be filled with dead wood. He established his church to be filled with people who have the power of the Spirit within them and are not content to stay inside the building, but will go out and do something. And that's exactly what happened to these disciples. When they were filled with the Spirit, they left the upper room. They went out onto the streets and they began to preach. Because they had something within them that we call the Holy Spirit. Now I'm not talking about Holy Ghost religion as some groups might talk about when one might do all kinds of crazy things and say that this is evidence of the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about something that is in the heart that comes out of the heart. It makes little difference what we say with our lips if it comes not from the heart. They left that upper room and they hit the streets. The people had heard the noise now and they started gathering from all over the city to come to where the noise was taking place and they arrived there and, and they began to hear these people speaking and the scripture says they were speaking in in other languages. 
Now please understand that it does not say that they were speaking in some language that nobody understands. That is not scriptural. You can't find proof of gibberish in the scripture. It's all understandable. What they were doing was preaching in the language of the people that were there on the street that could be understood. They understood what was being said. The Parthians and Medes and the Eliamites and the people from the island of Crete and Romans and Greeks and all of the people who had gathered there for the tremendous festival of the Jews were hearing the gospel preached in a language they can understand. The miracle was that Jesus used a common uneducated Jew to speak in a language that he wasn't trained in. That was the miracle. They all heard and understand, uh, understood the gospel that was being preached. And they marveled at it. Some of them believed. All of them did not. Sometimes we get awfully discouraged when we preach and testify and, and bear witness wherever you have this experience. And people won't believe. It's not going to all happen. Everybody to whom we testify is not going to believe. Some of these did not. Matter of fact, they began to jeer them and say, those guys are drunk. Yeah, they were. They were full of something, all right. It was spirit. But it was the Holy Spirit. We need to be that drunk. And out of that drunken conversation, so the people said, came 3,000 believers in Jesus Christ. If it takes that kind of drunken preaching to get people to be saved, we need to be drunk, don't we? Drunk with the Spirit. So full of the Spirit that we're totally uncontrollable physically. Ourselves, we are controlled by the Spirit of God. 3,000 believed and 3,000 were baptized and joined the church and became a part of that mighty band. Verse 42 of this second chapter of Acts and 43 are two important verses. Verse 41 says, Those that received his word were baptized and, were, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And then verse 42 and they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. There are the four things that uh, will take up the attention of any body of people who are going to be Christian, and those things we certainly ought to do. That is the framework of the ministry of the church in proclaiming the gospel in this community. We must continually give ourselves to learning the teaching that the gospel has given us, what the apostles taught, fellowshipping together, and here they were eating together, and to prayer. Those things are important if we're going to be a live church. Jesus said to Peter, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, not upon Peter, but upon the faith that Peter proclaimed. And he said, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. This church was established by Jesus Christ, the Olive Branch Missionary Baptist Church. 
The question is how much power is in it. There are two things that we need to do to make sure that that power is there. And that's as individuals get ourselves right with the Lord in our thinking and get ourselves right with each other. And when those things are done, the Spirit will come into our midst in a mighty way and we will not be able to stay inside these doors but will go out to this community to proclaim the gospel. And the people will wonder in Madison and Danville and Chapmanville and all up and down the hollows what's happening in Olive Branch. The little rumble that Ezekiel said began to happen when the bones began to come together suddenly broke into a mighty noise. The little rumble that's being heard in this community. Let's make it into a mighty shouting noise so that this community knows that we serve and love Jesus Christ. Then we'll be the church that the Lord desire to be established. Shall we pray? Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at James sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.